for checking out the Hope Culture Church podcast. To learn more and to stay connected, visit www.hopeculturechurch.com or follow us on social media at Hope Culture Church. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Hey everyone, welcome to Church Online. We're so excited. We're wrapping up our series, The Moral of the Story. And we've been talking about the stories that Jesus tells, the parables he has, where he's explaining kingdom principles and kingdom truths to everyday stories. They're really fun, they're short, they're compact. And this week, we're gonna hit two of them, cramming as many as we can in before we end the series. And the first one, in Jesus' story, he's talking about a wedding banquet. And on Monday, it was Abigail and I's eighth anniversary. We were so excited. We went and got tacos, and it was so fun to celebrate. And one of the things we did to celebrate is we rewatched our wedding video. And we watched it with Judah, our oldest son, and he had questions along the way and things like that, and it was fun. And what's happening is you watch it, and you see all these people you invited to your wedding, and some of them are still a part of your life and some of them aren't, but no matter what, they had an assigned seat, somewhere they were specifically supposed to sit. No one could just wander up to the head table and sit with us in the bridal party. And so in Jesus' story, that's not the case. You can sit anywhere you want, but he gives advice on where to sit. So let's check it out. Luke 14, starting in verse 7, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, Don't recline at the best place, because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come to you and say, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and recline in the lowest place, so that the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus shares this short story about being invited to a wedding. And in this story, he says, you can choose the place that you sit, but the place you choose has consequences. There's ramifications to your decisions. If you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. So this parable is all about humility. And humility is so important. It's something we can appreciate in other people, but it's not typically something that we're striving for ourselves. It's not usually the top thing on our list. Maybe we're working to be more uh, full of gratitude or generosity, or we're working on being more disciplined. We have these things we're striving for, and humility isn't usually in the top three or five, but it is something that is so important to God. It's also a little bit ambiguous. Like, what is humility? Is that just like, you know, a low self-esteem, like sometimes we view it as something that's weak in our culture. You know, you gotta stick up for yourself and that sort of thing. So if you actually go to look up what humility means, it says the state of being humble, which isn't that helpful. But then you can Google what humble means and that sort of thing. But I actually really like C.S. Lewis's definition. He says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. We're not supposed to be focused on ourselves. We're supposed to be others-focused as followers of Jesus. We're supposed to be focused on God and other people. The greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We are not supposed to be just inwardly focused and consumed. And why does this matter so much? That's a good and logical question. Why does humility matter? And Peter actually gives us the answer. In in 1 Peter chapter 5, he writes this, 
in verse 5, clothe yourselves with all humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Ooh, that's like a, a tough verse when you just read that. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So when we think about why humility matters, it matters because this, that God is working against you when you make it about you. God is working against you when you make it about you. We have the opportunity to choose between God working for us and offering us grace when we choose humility, or God working against us and opposing us when we choose pride. And that's a big deal. If I'm, if I'm presented with those two options of God working for me or against me, it's an easy decision. I want God working for me. It's an easy decision, but it's not always an easy choice to choose humility. But it's an important choice because when we choose humility, we avoid humiliation. We avoid humiliation when we choose humility. We have the opportunity, like Jesus, when he's talking about that banquet scenario, he goes, if you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. Not by yourself. Somebody else is going to humble you. Oftentimes it's God. But if we choose humility on our own, it leads to being exalted. Proverbs says, pride comes before the fall. And D.L. Moody summarizes it like this, be humble or you'll stumble. I love that. Be humble or you'll stumble. That in our life, what we're trying to do and accomplish is actually hindered when we just focus on ourselves. But when we choose to focus on others, it's pushed forward. That God puts his grace on that. That there's a blessing that comes with humility. And the way we choose humility is to change our focus. It's all about focus, where we choose to look. Are we looking at ourselves? Are we looking at others? Are we looking at what God has? One of the most famous passages on humility is in Philippians. It's found in chapter 2. And he says this, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy— Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord in one mind. And then he says this, do nothing, that's not a few things, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own needs, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I love this passage. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. You know, I'm naturally competitive. And we're called to not be thinking about how can I do better than somebody else? How can I be better in this area? But he says, instead, actually think of the needs of others first or consider others as more significant than yourself. And so Paul here is saying, you know, this is what Jesus taught. This is what he modeled as well. Jesus didn't just teach it. He modeled it because he actually calls us to look at Jesus's life. That Jesus being God himself, equal with the Father, didn't consider that something to be grasped, but laid down his life and came and served us. And while he was here on earth, he washed feet he did miracles. He hung out with people he wouldn't normally have hung out with if he was just one of the other Pharisees or, or rabbis. But he was a servant leader. 
He thought about others, and ultimately he died for the world. If we want to be people of humility, we need to follow Jesus's example. And that means doing some of those things. It means being selfless, not just thinking about ourselves, but thinking about others. We talk about this with our kids all the time. Hey, if you want to be a good friend, you can't just think about what's fun for you. You have to think about what's fun for everybody else. But how true is that still for us as adults? Not just when it comes to doing things that are fun, but for everyday things. Are we only thinking of ourselves? Are we putting ourselves in other people's shoes? Are, are we concerned about what matters to them? What helps them and, and encourages them and blesses them? What they're interested in and things like that. We need to be selfless. We also need to be surrendered. It said that Jesus came, you know, he laid down his life. He, he didn't consider that something to be grasped, but he came and was one of us. There's surrender that's involved in humility. And sometimes there's even suffering. Jesus died for us. And so if we want to be like Jesus, we need to shift our focus away from ourselves. I love this story, um, the Chronicles of Narnia, the whole series. It's one of my favorites, and I can't wait to read it with my kids when they're just a little bit older. And so in one of them, in Prince Caspian, there's this conversation that I want to read to us. It says this, Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That's because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And I love this because it's so backwards and counterintuitive. And we know Aslan represents God in this story. And so Lucy's like, you're bigger. My perspective of you have changed. You're different than I remember you. And Aslan responds and he's like, that's because you've grown. And she's like, wouldn't it be because you've grown if you're bigger? No, but as we grow and mature in following Jesus, the more we know him, the more we love him. The more we see him for who he is, the more we can appreciate who he is and the more we can begin to be formed into his image. And the bigger he grows in our life, the more proper we have a perspective of ourselves. You ever notice that? As something else is put into proper focus and in its place, everything else is easier to put in its place. As we see God for who he is, as he becomes bigger in our life, we can see ourselves for who we're supposed to be. It's not having a low self-esteem. It's just not thinking of ourselves primarily. It's thinking of God and others. It's changing our focus. Going back to 1 Peter, he, pick, he continues and he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. I love this. That humility leads to being lifted up. You know, God opposes the proud but offers grace to the humble. He wants to bless those who are walking in humility, but it's at the proper time. So often we want to rush God's timing. God, can you do this thing now? But instead, if we choose to trust him and wait on his timing at the proper time, he'll lift us up. He'll exalt us. Position is left to God. Promotion is in God's hands. The timing is his. Ours is what we're in charge of is posture. Position and promotion are God's and posture is ours. We're called to humility. Humility is more concerned with posture than position. We don't aim for that place of honor like Jesus was talking about in the wedding banquet. We're not shooting for the best seat because when you know where you stand with God, 
it doesn't matter where you sit with others. When you know where you stand with God, it doesn't matter where you sit with others. The test of humility is when we're treated like a servant, how do you respond? When somebody treats you the way you're trying to act, what is our response? I'm better than that. I was doing this out of love, but like you don't have to treat me like that. Jesus modeled servanthood and it wasn't a false humility. And I think sometimes we start thinking we're doing better at humility than we really are. Because when we're just acting those things out, but we're hoping people notice, and when they actually treat us like a servant, we get frustrated. That's not real humility. That's not real servanthood. We need to be truly humble, to truly care about others. And we can only do that by turning our focus to God. But I love this next part. In verse 7, he says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's part of the same sentence. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your cares upon him, your anxieties upon him, because he cares for you. Humility and anxiety are connected. And we might not naturally think that or notice that, but it's true because worry is a sign of misplaced trust. We worry when we put the trust in ourselves or in the things we have or the things we can control. Worry is a natural result of that. It's hard to worry if we truly trust God. You know, he talks about not worrying a little bit earlier in this sermon. He says, you know, don't worry about these things. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. When we trust God, we can cast our cares, our stress, our anxiety, our worries upon him because he cares for us. But that's a posture of humility that allows us to do that. Because the truth is, we want to be in control because we think we can do it better. And there's nothing more prideful than thinking you can do it better than God. But it's so natural because we trust ourselves. We know ourselves. We think we know what's best for us. So God, I just want to, I can handle this. Like, I love you and, and things like that, but this, I, I can handle this. Or I don't want to give up this area of my life. But true humility leads to trusting God to do what he says he'll do. It says that we'll trust God with what's his and we'll be faithful with what's ours. And that leads us to the second parable I wanted to talk about today. The first one, Jesus says, choose the low seat. You know, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. We need to be people who choose humility instead of humiliation. But the second parable I want to talk about is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon that Jesus tells. And it's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He's summarizing, he's wrapping up his, his whole message. And he says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds his house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And this is such a good parable. He's contrasting the wise person and the foolish person, the wise builder and the foolish builder. So let's start by 
comparing some of the things they had in common. They had in common that they're both building. They're building these houses on a specific foundation. And house can represent a few different things. A house can represent your life, you know, all the things that you're trying to accomplish and do, your dreams, what you're working towards and for. It can represent your family, you know, the house of David or the house of Jacob. It represents your, your family and your household. It can also represent a government or your nation when he says the house of Israel. So these guys are building their house. They're building their life upon a specific foundation. They both have a dream, a picture of what they're working towards, something they're trying to actively accomplish. And I think all of us have a life we're trying to build. That's something that we have some form of a picture in our mind of where we're headed. And so both the wise man and the foolish man can have a dream and build towards it. That's something they have in common. The next thing that they have in common is that they both heard the teachings of Jesus. He says that the wise person heard Jesus' teaching and followed it, and the foolish person heard it and different. So it's not enough that we just have information. Information doesn't accomplish what we're looking for. We can go to the same church, we can read the same books, we can hear the same sermons, all of those different things. Even spiritual information doesn't have its full effect until it's implemented. And that is where he draws the line and makes the difference between the two. One is building their life upon the rock, the bedrock, the foundation. The other is building their life upon the sand. And for a while, they probably look the same. Because it says that they built those things and, you know, they had that house. But it wasn't until the storm came that you noticed the difference. That the storms of life come. Storms throughout the Bible represent trials or hard times. And this was a big storm. And many of us are facing a storm of some form right now. You know, maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's a stressful family situation. Maybe it's, it's school. Maybe it's all of these different things going on. It's the pandemic. It's, we're facing storms in our life. And the storm reveals the structural integrity of that building, of what it's built on. The foundation matters. The wise man's house remains and the foolish man's house begins to crumble. And it's a big storm. It says that there was flood waters and rain and wind. You know, we had a smaller storm just not long ago, that microburst storm that knocked trees down and power lines and many of us lost power and things like that. But an even bigger storm than that is what happens in these people's lives. And we, we, we feel that when we go through a hard time, there's a shaking and we're not sure what to hold on to. Are we going to last? Are we going to weather the storm? And Jesus says, the difference isn't just the spiritual information that you're doing. The difference isn't if you had a dream or a plan. The difference isn't any of those things. The difference is, did you implement his teachings? Did you actually act upon it? Did you build your life upon those things? And the bigger and better you want to build, the, the more secure and firm the foundation needs to be. You know, if we want a big skyscraper, that means we have a big, deep foundation. The city under the city is, is big and massive. And the thing is, so many of us want to build a skyscraper in our marriage or in our family or in our life or in our job, but we build it on a 
doghouse sized foundation. We build it on a much smaller foundation. If we want to build what God is calling us to, we need a good and secure foundation. The foolish man heard the teachings of Jesus. He was going to church. He said, people, he's talking to a specific crowd. He's in the middle of a sermon, the end of a sermon. He's saying, some of you are going to hear this and do nothing. It won't lead to any life change. That is the difference between wisdom and foolishness. It's also the difference between making it through the hard parts of life and not. We need a firm foundation. And maybe you're feeling that now. It's not too late or early to start building for the next storm of life. Because storms come and go, and they come in various sizes and forms. But we need that foundation ahead of time. You can't fix your foundation in the middle of the storm. But you can begin to build and prepare for the future. That means taking all of these things that we're learning and choosing to implement them in our life. You know, we have dreams for what God has for us. We have pictures of what we want to build, but it starts with the small acts of obedience, putting those things into practice, that we're, we're doing the things he's calling us to do, that we're, we're living a life in line with repentance like we talked about last week, that we're caring for other people, that we're living a life of humility. And so that's where I want to pull these two parables together. The first one is about how God offers grace to those who are humble. And the second one is about building a life upon his word, his rock. Because here's the thing, many of us don't go all in or all out. We don't just build upon the rock or just build upon sand. We don't just do things our own way only. A lot of us try to do some sort of mixture. We try to say, you know, this is what I have learned. This is my tradition. This is my background. This is my family. This is what I've learned from the world. And here's a little Jesus sprinkled on top of it, kind of mix it together. We got some bedrock and sand, but that's still not going to stand. That's still not going to hold true. What we need to do is go all in on what God is calling us to, on his way and his word and his will. And that takes humility to do it because all of us think we know best. And it takes humility to say, you know, I trust you, Jesus. I'm going to follow through on what you're teaching me when it makes sense and when it doesn't, when it's easy and when it's hard. I want to build on a firm foundation. I'm trusting you. I'm going to walk in humility and put you first and then care about others. And that's my hope and heart for you because I want you to build a life that is healthy and long-lasting, that, that has a firm foundation, that when you go through hard times, you have truths that you can cling to. Because when I go through a storm, I have things that are part of my foundation that I can fall back on, that I know that when I'm worried, I can trust Him because I have his word planted inside of me and he's been faithful before and he'll be faithful again that I don't have to worry about today because I trust him. I have scriptures that I, I've learned and implemented and hung on to that can get me through hard times. 
I have things that I turn to. My favorite passage in James where it says, you know, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and it talks about how he prayed and the rain stopped. So I go back to that, and I'm like, God, I know that I can pray, and it, it really makes a difference. Or I go back to a passage where Jesus talks about how he gives his peace, that he's leaving his peace with us. And God, I know I can have peace, not because I can make everything in my life right, but that you offer it to me in the middle of it. Or I don't have to worry because, God, you said not to worry that if I seek after you, you'll take care of these other things. We need the firm foundation to fall back on, especially in hard times. Let's be people who build good, lasting lives. God, would you help us to be humble? Would you help us to think of others as more important than ourselves? And would we see you for who you are? That as we turn our eyes towards you, we'd have the proper perspective of ourselves. God, would we have the humility to trust you fully when it's easy, when it's hard, when it makes sense, when it doesn't? Would we build our life upon your word, upon your truth? Would we be like the wise builder who not just heard it, but actually applied it? God, would you help us to weather the things that we're going through now as we hold on to you, our firm foundation. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you're, you're watching and you've never actually made that decision to build your life upon Jesus. And really, it's pretty simple. That doesn't mean it's easy, but it is simple. The reality is, is that none of us live up to the standard that God has set. That's perfection. It's him. It's being like him. All of us have fallen short of that. But Jesus came to make a way when there was no way. He lived a perfect, sinless life, died the death that we deserve, and rose again on the third day. And that same power that raised him from the dead, God himself, his spirit, offers to come and live inside of us when we choose to follow him. Paul says this, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. If you just say, God, I believe you, I'm sorry for the ways I've fallen short. I'm choosing to follow you. That's all it takes is an honest conversation with God. And he begins to build his life in you. If you want to do that today, we'd love for you to text today to the number 847-999-7424. We'll have somebody on our team reach out and just pray with you and congratulate you and welcome you to the family of God. We hope you have a great week. We're really excited. Next week, we're kicking off a brand new series, A Little Bit of Wisdom Goes a Long Way. We're excited about it, and we hope to see you then. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for Church Online. I hope that message encouraged you and inspired you. Our mission at Hope Culture Church is to help people find hope and take their next step in following Jesus. So everything we do, we funnel through that mission. And so we're really grateful for what God is doing in our midst. And I just want to give you the opportunity here to partner with us in that mission. You can do that from a couple of different ways. You can text the number on the screen to give, or you can head to our website, hopeculturechurch.com slash give and you can partner with us there. We're so grateful for the generosity of many so that we can continue in the mission that we feel God has given us. Listen, we miss you so much. We miss gathering together in person. And so we as a team are coming up with our reopening plan. And we're going to give you all the details about that soon. But before that, I want to give you the opportunity to just hear from you, to hear your voice and how you are thinking and feeling about regathering. And so we have put together a little survey just for you. It's a short survey. We're going to post that right now in the comment section below. You can click on that, fill out that survey. We want to hear how you're thinking, how you're feeling about regathering. 
and we're gonna go from there. And so I hope that you do that and I hope that you have a great Sunday and awesome rest of your week. We'll see you next week.